Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jill. Hi, everyone. I'm Jill, a compulsive overeater and 100-pounder. Hi. I don't see Rod here today, but anyway, I want to thank Rod for asking me to leave this meeting. It's a privilege, privilege and an honor, and thank you all for allowing me to recover in my uh, to participate in my recovery today. And I'm super nervous, nervous, huh? Super <laughs> nervous. Let's just put out that out right now. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself, but first I would just want to say that my intention tonight is to be as honest and possible as possible. Um, allow myself to be vulnerable um, and intimate and really take time to talk about what it was like for me um, because I came into this program at 327 pounds about four and a half years ago. Um, that being said, there's a lot to my story and what it was like for me and the demoralization and the loneliness and the, the, uh, the uh, um, you know, the sadness that was involved in my disease. So um, I'll just start out with what my abstinence is. It's three meals a day, nothing in between. And for me, that's important to say out loud every day as I, as I talk about my abstinence with my sponsors, that I don't have any snacks. And when I, was, when I was talking about my abstinence early on with my sponsor and what I wanted that to look like, I had enough grace from the from grace of God and enough honesty to be able to say, you know, I don't want to include snacks in my in my uh, my daily meals because snacks to me I can turn into a meal in a second. And so what I clearly know today um, is that if it's not an option, it's not a problem for me. So that being said, there's no I don't have any snacks in my in my food plan during the day. So my abstinence is three meals a day, again nothing in between, no sugar, no form foods, and no snacks. No snack foods. Form foods, what that means to me is no look alike things. Um, I heard from my very first meeting the speaker talk about form foods, and for him it was anything, um, again, that looked like something else. So for me, what that means specifically is no protein bars. Protein bars, I'll still eat 18 of them. looks like a candy bar. Don't do it. I don't eat any sugar-free stuff, no fat-free stuff, because it messes with my head. My head says if it's from Trader Joe's, if it says low-calorie, if it says sugar-free, if it says granola, I equate that to I can eat the whole box or the whole bag. So that's just, you know, and, and I'll talk. About, I'll try to remember to talk about this later, but these like good ideas that I have in my head sometimes come to me in like my kind of voice. And it sounds, and it, and it sounds like perfectly good logic at the time, like the best idea ever. So, and I'll try to remember to talk about that. I have a specific story, story that's kind of funny and where that happened, where I stole snacks from one of the hotels. So that sounded like a good idea at the time. So um, I think I talked about my abstinence, 327 pounds. I'm maintaining a weight loss of about 160 pounds, and I've been at this weight for about two years. Um, talk about none of my doing. You know, I, I show up every day. That's what I do. I show up every day, and I do what's in front of me, and I'm, and I'm of service. And through God's grace, here's where I am today. So... What it was like for me, um, I started my food crimes pretty early on when I was four. I remember breaking into the neighbor's house around Halloween time and stealing all the Halloween candy 
and burying it in my backyard in a shoebox. That's how my food crime started. Um, when I, I don't know, was about seven or so, and I might be dating myself here, aging myself, the Helmsman, remember the bakery on wheels? Um, which for you young folks is like, a, I guess you'd equivalent it to like maybe the ice cream man, but instead sells bakery goods. Anyway, um, my mother had a tab running with a, bakery, with a helmsman, so I thought it would be a good idea to run myself a tab as well. And because I'm a people pleaser, everybody included everybody else in the neighborhood also. So we had this big tab with the helmsman going on. So, um, but I... When I was 12 years old, it was a, a real turning point for me, and I remember when I was 12 years old, and you're, and you're going to hear the story of a girl who just wanted to be invisible. And I was talking, not talking, I was thinking about what I wanted to say today, besides being intimate and vulnerable, and what the message I really wanted to get was 327 pounds was to keep me invisible. And that's what I wanted to be. And so for me to come up here and allow myself to be seen and to be heard and to be recorded and to be a part of is really quite something for me today. And I don't do it comfortably most, most times, but I try my best to show up. So when I was 12 years old, again, two things happened to me that were a real turning point for me. I was molested by a janitor took all of those feelings on, I didn't tell anybody, took all of those feelings on, all of that guilt, all of that shame, all of that desperation, all of that loneliness, all of, all of those feelings as a 12-year-old girl, girl I took on, and, and also in the same year my parents were divorced. And so that validated what I already thought about myself, unlovable, unworthy, alone, not good enough, full of shame. It was all about me that all of these things were happening to. Um, so, and again, it was, I, there was something that clicked for me at that point, and I, and, 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 I, and I had a real disconnect at 12 years old. And it felt like, see if I can articulate this for you, it felt like I was a cartoon character living my own life. It felt like I was out of my body watching somebody else go through their life. I was so disconnected from myself. And from that point on, I did anything to disconnect from myself. Um, I acted out sexually. I took a lot of drugs. I took a lot of alcohol. Anything to, again, disconnect myself to whatever feeling I thought um, or had. When I was 20, I was pregnant and married in that order. And I gained about 60 pounds in that pregnancy. Um, had toxemia, toxemia, which is a type of blood poisoning, and hypertension. I think my blood pressure was like 160 over whatever. Um, and because of that, I had to have a, a C-section. So when I hear people talk about in these rooms that, that for them it's not a life-threatening disease, I don't get that because that's not my experience. Um, so fast forward, and I, you know, I could go on and on and on about what my food was like. I mean, I, you know, I'm the biggest liar and cheat with my food. There's a loophole, I'll find it. You know, it, there's, there's kind of a, a joke I kind of tell myself, you know, I'll tell my sponsor I'm having two pieces of chicken, not telling her it's two halves of a whole chicken. You know, I'll tell her, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to have corn when it's like a corn muffin or corn bread or popcorn or something like that. That's the kind of stuff that I do that, again, sounds like a good idea. 
in my voice. Um, so, again, I, you know, going to fast food restaurants, wrappers in the backseat of my car, filling my car, being embarrassed to throw them out at the gas station, you know, um, eating a bag of potato chips and having to get to the store first to, to replace that bag of it with somebody else's food. Um, ordering two pizzas before my partner got, got home, eating one pizza, you know, going down the alley, sneaking down the alleyway and, and hiding that or throwing that pizza box away in somebody else's garbage can in the alleyway, way underneath their trash so nobody would see it. You know, that's how I live my life. But what encapsulates it all, if I could put it into one incident that happened to me in one conversation, there was this girl at work, and I was probably about 30 at the time, um, and really kind of starting to question my sexuality. There was a girl at work that was obviously gay, and I started, again, getting really curious about that, and I asked her, I said, so can I ask you a question? And she said, yeah, anything. And I looked at her dead on in the eye, and I said, what do you guys eat? <laughs> that... <laughs> that, that, you know, I didn't think about what my husband might think of that. I didn't think what, how that might affect my child. I just wanted to know what you ate. And that's how I lived my life. You know, and I think she said something like, well, we go to the same grocery stores or something as you, you do and eat at the same restaurants as you do. And it's like, okay, I'm in. They have food. Okay. That's all that mattered to me. That's all I thought about. That's all I wanted to do. For breakfast, I was wondering what I was going to have for dinner. For dinner, I was wondering what I was going to have for breakfast. You know, and then I was always going to start on Monday. And then it was a full moon. And then it was right before I went to Maui. Then it was right before I started swimsuit season. Whatever it was, it was I was always going to start the next day and that's how I lived my life around that time somewhere I started going to another program that deals with people places and things um, and I showed up there for I don't want to I want to say about 15 years sponsored myself self-sponsored another great idea comes in the form of my own voice you know, and I would stand there and bitch and moan about everybody else in that room and stop at, you know, the, the nearest fasted place on the way home. Never occurred to me that I was the one that had a problem. Never occurred to me that I had a problem with food and was perhaps an addict. Never even occurred to me. It was always everybody else's fault. If they would just shape up and do what I wanted them to do, my life would be fine. You know, and of course I was going to start my diet on Monday and things would be great. So, um, needless to say, I, I worked my way up to 327 pounds. Um, how I got here, I guess that brings me to how I got here. I was in a relationship for six years, thought I would be with this person forever, and I travel a lot for business, and I happened to be up in San Francisco at the time. And it was a week before our six-year anniversary, and she called me up on the phone, and she said she didn't want to be with me anymore. And I think I said something like, you know, why is that? And she said, because you're not taking care of yourself. And I want to say I said something like, well, what do you mean? But I knew deep inside, inside what she meant. I knew what she meant by that. She didn't have to say anything else. I knew what she meant. And so there I was up in San Francisco, alone, devastated, invisible, depressed, completely disconnected to how I got here. Completely disconnected to... X amount of food equals 327 pounds. No idea that the food would make me gain weight. That's how disconnected I was. Oh, you know, I forgot to, to give you guys pictures of myself. 
I have two pictures here, and there's a little story about that as well. I was the girl, again, who wanted to be invisible. So when photos were taken of me, I would be the girl who would go down to Rite Aid in those days and who would rifle through the pictures. And if I, did, if I thought a picture of me made me look fat, it, I took it out of the pile. So literally there were probably about one or two pictures left in the, in the pack of film by the time I got home. So if I wasn't standing behind a bus or a bush or a couch or somebody else, those pictures went in the trash can. And I manipulated my way to get to Rite Aid first, to get to the pictures in order to do that. It's a lot of work being 327 pounds, let me tell you. So that being said, I have like two pictures. Um, pass those around for you to see. So where, where was I? How I got here? So I came home to an empty house, um, and I, I remembered going to that other program a long time ago and how it had helped me. So I called up a friend who was in that other program, still going to that program, and she said that a friend of hers had gone to OA and had really helped her. And I was so desperate and in so much pain, I was willing to do anything. And I was out of ideas. And so my hope for you, if you're new, or if you're out of ideas, my hope for you if you're new, or if you're struggling, is that you're desperate and you're out of ideas. That's my hope and my wish for you tonight. Because I know that if, if I had one more idea left in me, I wouldn't have walked into these rooms. So I walked into the Sunday relapse meeting up in the valley, and I remember hearing, hearing my story, and it was such a relief to me to know that I wasn't the only one. It was such a relief to me to know that there were others like me. And for the first time in a long time, I felt, I felt an ounce of hope. Again, I was in so much pain over the breakup of the relationship, I was willing to do anything. And to me, I think God know that, knew that. To me, I know that, to me, I believe that there are no coincidences. Um, and I, I can for sure say that if I was still in that relationship, I probably would still be eating and wouldn't be here. So by the grace of God, I'm here today talking with you guys about, about my journey through um, compulsive overeating and Overeaters Anonymous. Um, so I started working the steps, got a sponsor early on, as was suggested to me. Um, and I want to say probably about 30 days after I started program, I broke my abstinence on a piece of apple pie. Now, I can't stand apple pie. I hate apple pie. But there's a story to that, too, about being invisible. Um, it was I was at my son's house up in Lake Tahoe, and it was the day after Christmas, December 26th. Actually, it was December 25th. And there was all these, this pie cut up on the table, and everybody else was having pie. Now, keep in mind, I'm the girl that wants to be invisible. And I thought, again, my best idea says, Jill, you better have a piece of pie because if you don't, people are going to look at you. People are going to ask. People are going to want to have conversation with you about why you're not having pie. And I just can't take that visibility. So I had a piece of pie and broke my abstinence. Called my sponsor. Of course, tried to fit it into a fruit group, you know, because I'm a liar and a cheat. And I look for any loophole that I can. Um... We talked about breaking my abstinence and what that meant, and I haven't broken my abstinence since. Um, let's see uh, where I'm at today. How much time do I have left? Oh, for the love of God, like 25 minutes. Okay. Oh, shoot me. I made some notes here early on, so let me just—I just want to make sure that I—I—I uh, I want to talk about everything that's so important to me. Um, when I was 327 pounds, again, I just kind of want to 
jump back to that again and what that was like for me. Um, I lived a life of fear. I was afraid to go to restaurants for fear I couldn't fit in that little booth. Um, afraid to go to amusement parks, which I love, for fear I couldn't fit on the ride. Um, afraid to go kayaking for fear I'd sink the kayak. You know, on and on and on. Afraid to go to concerts for fear I couldn't fit in the seat. Afraid to go to barbecues for fear they'd have that damn plastic furniture, you know, that you'd sit on, that you'd break. You know, and that's how I lived my life. Afraid, 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 and I lived a life on the sidelines, and that's how I lived for, like, I, you know, 40, 50 years. Um, also, too, what it was like, I was on two type, different types of blood pressure medication. Also had severe acid reflux in the middle of the night. There were times where I woke up gagging in the middle of the night on my own acid going into my airway, gagging, not being able to catch my breath, and again, ate the next day. Again, you know, it was a continuous hamster wheel for me. The more guilty I felt, the more shame I felt, the more I ate. It was a never-ending hamster wheel for me. Um, there were many times where I was really sick and didn't go to the didn't go to the doctor because I was ashamed of being weighed on that scale and couldn't take the big bars moving from you know 100 to 150 to 200 to 250 um, and couldn't take the demoralization of my scale went up to 250 pounds having to count past that again at 327 having to count past that and do the math to how much I weighed that's how I lived my life. Um, See what my life is like today. I wake up every morning at 6 o'clock. Um, I do reading out of the OA 12 and 12 and the, and the uh, AA 12 and 12. I happen to be on step 10 right now. But I do a paragraph of writing every day to my sponsor and I give her my food. The deal is if my food changes, I call her because I don't make the best food choices. My days of the luxury of, of choosing my own food are over. Now, I want to talk a little bit about my absence again because I didn't talk about this specifically. If you listen to my absence, okay, Jill, so no sugar, no form, foods, no form foods, or no snacks, so that means you can have pizza and bread. I have a list of red foods, yellow foods, and green foods. So in that, my, in, in my food plan, my foods interchange between colors quite a bit. My abstinence is everything to me. It's black or white. There's no confusion if I'm abstinence. And by the way, my abstinence is the most important thing in, in, in my life to me. It's a, it's a black or white thing. I clearly know if I'm abstinent or not. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just, I just want to share a little story about um, my food colors. So I have a little, a little problem with stew. I went to Ireland in my absence. I went to Ireland, and I had some Irish stew, which was lovely and which was fine. Got back to the States, and all of a sudden, stew, 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 all right? So I go to Trader Joe's, find some lovely stew, have some stew, get home, next day, stew, stew. So I go to Trader Joe's, pushing my little cart, and I swear, swear, I swear to God, I'm like, up and down the aisles, where's the stew? Where's the stew? Where's the stew? It's not where the, it's not where the stew used to be. The stew used to be here. Where's the stew? So I go up to, like, one of those little checker guys. Where's the stew? It used to be here. Well, I, I don't know. I guess we're out. What do you mean you're out? Where's the stew? Call the manager. Where's the stew? When are you going to get some in? Can you call another store and hold some stew for me? I'll go get it. That's, that's what my head does. That's what my head does. Those are the good ideas that I have. So I get home. Okay, stew moves from yellow to red. Done. Oops. Done deal. Again, if it's not an option, it's not a problem. Same thing with cheese. 
I heard a great thing the other day at a meeting. Cheese needs a friend. Cheese needs a piece of bread. Cheese needs a little glass of wine. Cheese needs a little cracker. Cheese just can't do well on its own. So, you know, it needs a little friend. So, so, yeah, I, you know, tortilla. Cheese needs a little tortilla. A little, little something. So, you know, cheese isn't a good idea for me either. So cheese is on my red list. So, uh, my abstinence is absolute, and I stay away from stuff on my red list, which is like bread, pasta, cheese, stew. You know, one day it was mustard. Mustard on everything, you know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what happens. It's just one one day something's a thing for me, and I don't try to figure it out. It just is. Again, if it's not an option, it's not a problem. So any kind of thing that talks to me, that calls me, goes on my red list. It's a done deal. Again, if it's not an option, it's not a problem. Um... Let's see. I know I'm, I'm I'm really skipping around everywhere. I'm really pretty nervous, so I apologize for that. But I'll talk about. Um, I'd like to go back again. What my life is like right now. Again, so I call my sponsor every morning, work with her on a daily basis, and I have a number of sponsees that call me, and they work the program the way that I do, and try to hit about three or four meetings a week. Um, I show up for service. Um, do my prayers every morning. Now, my prayers, God to me used to be like, I used to call him the Santa Claus God. God, I want this. I want that. Please make this person do this. Please make this person do that. And give me a nice shiny bike. That's what my prayers used to be like. Today, they're of, please help me to be kind and loving to myself and to others. Please help me to show up today to be of service. Help me to be a beacon to others. Show me who you want me to do. Show me who you want me to do. Show me who you want me to be. My old days. That's my path. Sorry. Show me who you want me to be and tell me what you want me to do. And that's how I live my life. Help me have a, a day free from fear. Help me have a day free from ego, selfishness, self-centeredness, and self-seeking motives. And that's how I try to live my life. Love and tolerance is my code today. Now, do I do that perfectly? No. Again, I travel a lot in airports. That's inclusive of TSA. That's inclusive of everybody at the airport, but I try my best. Um, you know, and what I have to say about that is my program is a matter of practice for me, and, and living the principles and the steps, it's a matter of practice. You know, a ballerina, and I heard this at a, at a great pitch, a ballerina doesn't wake up in the morning and just perform a beautiful leap. Practices the same leap over and over and over again to perfection. Um, a concert pianist doesn't get up in the morning and just play a beautiful piece on the piano. He practices the same damn song, <laughs> damn, same damn piece over and over and over again until it's perfected. And that's how, that's how I live my program. That's how I live my life. Not that it's anything close to perfect, but it's a matter of practice every day. Um, so in my abstinence, I went to, I've been to Paris, I've been to Ireland. As you've heard, I've been to Maui. I've been on a cruise to Mexico. All abstinent. My food never changes. My food is the same, whether I'm in Brentwood or I'm in Paris, France. My food is always the same. And I pretty much eat the same thing every day. And, you know, I have to say early on when somebody told me that, oh, for the love of God, you know, oatmeal every day, you know, you know salad with protein every day, but that's how I live my life. And there's a lot of freedom around that. It affords me the ability to stay out of my head. It, 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 food to me is now nutrition. That's all it is. I went to Disneyland yesterday. It was a day at Disneyland with people that I love and care about. Wasn't worried about if I could fit on the ride. Wasn't worried if I was going to 
sink the ship on Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, that's how I live my life, from churro stand to churro stand. Disneyland is not about churros. You know, and it's such a different life for me. I can show up. I can show up and be in a day, be in a day of joy and love. And that's what my days are about. It's not about food. It's not about what I'm going to have for lunch. It's not about what I'm going to have for dinner. Um, let's see. What else can I talk about? So I, in my trip to Paris, I tra- promised my tri- a trip to Paris for myself when I, when I lost 100 pounds, and it was important for me to live up to that promise. And so my partner and I went to Paris, um, and I came back totally inspired and said, you know, I, I really don't love my job anymore. I've been it with my job for 13 years, and it just doesn't fit me. Just like my size 28 pants no longer fit, my job no longer fits. So what brings me joy? What brings me happiness? It's clear to me that God did bring me on this journey, on this journey to have a life of torture and hell. That was 327 pounds. It's clear to me what God wants me to have now is a happy, joyous, and free life. So what does that for me? What brings me joy? What brings me passion? I spent a lot of time in flower shops when I was in Paris, and I thought, you know, I'm pretty creative, so I want to be a floral designer. And so at, at what, 54 years old, 53 years old, I went back to school, back to night college, and I'm taking a, a, a class every week on floral design with the hopes to be a floral designer someday on my own flower shop in Paris. Now, did I have that thought four and a half years ago when I walked in here? If I... My idea is shortchange myself. And I want to make sure that I'm not shortchanging myself these days. I refuse, refuse, refuse to live my life on the sidelines. I refuse, refuse, refuse to watch other people living their life anymore. I've done enough of that. Um, if a friend says, let's go kayaking, yeah, let's go. Never been kayaking before, but yeah, let's go. And that's how I live my life today. I show up and I take God with me. And I try to be a beacon. Um, I want to talk a little bit about my son and then about my mother. Um, you know, my son, who was 35, I'm sorry, my son, when I, he's 35, and when I picked him up from the airport a couple of years ago, he had never seen me in a normal body weight. You know, and, and, and when he saw me, it really kind of put it in, it really kind of put my recovery and the journey itself into context for me. And it was really, I, you know, I, he didn't recognize me. He didn't, he, he had never had a normal-sized mother. And initially he thought I was sick. You know, and it never occurred to me what it might mean to him. It never occurred to me what he might, what life might have been like for him having a mother at 327 pounds. It never occurred to me. And so we get to talk about that in a couple of weeks, actually. I'm working my ninth and my tenth step. I'm going to Lake Tahoe in a couple of weeks, and I have the opportunity to make amends to my 35-year-old son, which is really quite scary and quite frightening, but what a beautiful opportunity and what a beautiful sense of freedom that I'm going to get from that as well. Again, and that's how I live my life today. Um, a bit about my mother. I have a really, really difficult relationship with my mother. Um, she, what do I want to say about that without taking her inventory? She, um, 
she's an addict in another program, and she is in her addiction, and it breaks my heart. Some of the things she's doing as a 75-year-old woman to support her addiction, it breaks my heart. But here's what I do. I show up and I try to be love and tolerant and I treat her like a newcomer. And so that being said, I want to read one of my very, very favorite pages of the big book, page 417 on acceptance. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. And then it goes on later in the, in the page, and it says, I, See, when I complain about me or about you, I am complaining about God's handiwork. I am saying that I know better than God. You know, and I, and I find myself reading this page quite often, because quite often I'm, I'm upset over something that somebody isn't doing the way I think it should be done. Um, I think it's on, uh, where is it, step three. Let's go ahead and read another one of my favorite paragraphs, which is step 7 in the AA 12 and 12. Page 26. The chief activator of our, de- of our defects has been self-centered fear, primarily fear that we would lose something we already possessed or would fail to get something we demanded. Living upon a basis of unsatisfied demands, we were in a state of continual disturbance and frustration. Therefore, no peace was to be had unless we could find a, mean- a means of reducing these demands. This is how I live my life. Always upset over something. Always fearful that I was going to lose something that I already had or fearful I wasn't going to get something that I demanded. And that's how I live my life at 327 pounds. And so what the program teaches me is that I have to find different tools, different ways. If I don't practice my program, it's clear to me I'm going to be back out there eating. It's clear to me that if I don't do what I need to do, if I don't work my program, I'm going to lose the life that I have. Anything that I put before my abstinence, I'm going to lose. My abstinence is everything to me. I know I said that early on, but it's everything to me. Um, And I guard it and protect it like the little fragile gift that it is from God. Um, I'll share my, my snack story, since we have a little bit of time. My ego wants to tell you that this snack idea came early on in abstinence, but really it was about, I don't know, about six, eight months ago. So as I said, I'm afforded the opportunity to travel a bit for my job, and that affords me um, uh, points at certain hotels, and which affords me uh, the concierge level now and then with the concierge lounge on the same level. All right. So I'm in the uh, concierge lounge, and my intention was to go and get a bottled water, and then I see all these snacks on the table. No one's in here. All right, so my best thinking says, 
my partner, poor dear, isn't working right now and could really use these snacks. I'm just going to get her a couple snacks. She'll really appreciate it, poor dear. Has nothing to eat. So I'm just going to get her some of these snacks. So I take a couple bags of snacks, and then I go into back to my room next door. And because one is never enough, more is always better. Snacks start calling me. Go next door to the concierge lounge again, grab a couple bags, and pretty soon I'm like a squirrel going back and forth. My head says can't take more than three bags because then what if somebody sees me? Right, so I can I can talk my way out of having three bags, but ten bags, no. So back and forth I am like a squirrel, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, gathering up this pile of snacks on the bed. Then I go to the closet, the laundry bag, okay, that's like the size of a pillowcase, and whip that bad boy open, <laughs> put the snacks in there. All right, can't go into can't go into the concierge level with the laundry bag, what are people going to think? So, I'll, again, continue back and forth, back and forth, and pretty soon, the bag, the laundry bag, pillowcase size, is halfway full of snacks. All right, now, because I'm leaving the next day, I'm trying to fit it in my suitcase. Fits in the suitcase, then I get on the shuttle to the airport, and then I'm obsessed with, with my bag's overweight. What if, I, what if I have to pay $25 fee? How am I going to manipulate on that on my business card? What can I say? What can I tell my boss? I know I had to do extra training, extra paperwork, and yeah. There I am, a liar and a cheat. In my head, manipulating how I can get these snacks and not be caught. And I don't have to pay for the overweight charge on my bag. All right, so snacks make it through. Underweight bag, good to go. Get home, open up the bag, and it's like the, the heavens break. Ah, there are the snacks. Crap, there are the snacks. All right. So I really don't eat snacks, and where am I going to put these snacks? I know I'll put them in with my earthquake food. That's what my head says. I'll put them in with my earthquake food. Like, if there's an earthquake, I will be the only one that has snacks. And people will come for miles because I'll be the only one that has snacks. So I get dressed, go to a meeting, this was on a Friday night, and I'm sitting there listening, blah, 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 judging everybody else's share. Voice says, Joe, how long did you spend on those snacks today? How long did you spend thinking about those snacks? How long weren't you of service? How long were you self-serving while you were thinking about those snacks today? Get up at the podium. Share it just like I'm talking to you guys today. A fellow comes up after the meeting and says, Jill, do you think you owe that hotel an amends for stealing their snacks? I don't want to tell you what I wanted to say, but what I did say, the voice of recovery, which was surely not mine, says, I don't know, but I'm willing to consider that. And so I went home and I talked to my sponsor, and she said, absolutely, and get by the way, get rid of those snacks. And so that's what I did. My eyes are broken, and so I try to weigh and measure the best that I can. When I'm at the supermarket, and I hope this isn't scoring, but when I'm at the supermarket, I try not to choose an apple that's the size of my ass. That's what I do. That's the crap that I do. Again, I'm a liar and a cheat with my food. Speaking of liars and cheats, step three in the OA 12 and 12, page 24. We will no longer simply do what we feel like doing or what we think we can get away with. Instead, we will earnestly seek to learn God's will for us. Then we will act accordingly. 
We give up fear and indecision, knowing that if we are sincere, a higher power will give us the knowledge of our best course in life, along with the willingness and ability to follow that course even when it seems difficult and uncomfortable. And there are days when I have to pray for the willingness to be uncomfortable. There are days when I'm so uncomfortable in my skin, and I don't mean this literally, but I've called, I called my sponsor and I feel like I just want to hurl myself off my balcony. That's how uncomfortable I'm feeling in my skin. It's only, and I'm reminded, it's only a feeling, it's only a thought. You know, you slam on the brakes of the station wagon and the shit flies forward. Sorry if that's swearing, but that, you know, that's my experience. If I stop, when I stop eating, of course I'm going to feel all of these feelings that have been on freezer, that, that have been in the freezer for so long and have freezer burn all over them. I take them out to thaw, and here I am left with this 12-year-old girl and being molested, parents divorced, you know, depressed, lonely, you know, isolation, on and on and on. Of course I'm going to be left with all of those feelings, and so now I get to process those feelings today. When I have a feeling that's really uncomfortable, what I do is just to hang on like God was a boogie board. Just wrap myself around it, and I'm in the ocean, bobbing and weaving up and down. Hold on, hold on, hold on, because sooner or later I know I'm going to get to the shore. Sooner or later I'm not going to get to the nice warm beach and just ride, just ride my feelings through. A thought is just a thought. I used to act on every single thought I had. Had a thought, need to go do it. And there was no filter involved at all. A thought is just a thought, and a feeling is just a feeling. Um, and I think I'm just going to end my share there. Thank you. Okay. Do you have any questions or anything? So much pressure. Yes. Uh, thank you for sharing. Thanks for being so uh, specific about your accident. Really appreciate that. When you go out of the country and you eat three meals, um, is it hard for you to figure out the time, the difference of time, and or um, do you ever wake up late and find yourself eating really late at night if you skip a meal? You know what I'm saying? First of all, I don't I don't skip a meal, even if it's on a different time change, because my absence is three meals a day. That doesn't mean two. That doesn't mean four. That means three. So I try to get to a meeting as soon as I can. I've been to meetings in Paris and Ireland. There were meetings on the cruise ship. I take my recovery with me, um, listen to iPodcasts, and I try to get on the, the, the schedule where I'm at as soon as I can and get acclimated to it. But bottom line is, is I, I, I have all of my meals. You know, here's the thing for me. I I work really hard at my abstinence, and it was also I, I work really I, I work a lot at my abstinence, and it's also a lot of work at being at 327 pounds. So if I'm going to have work, I'd rather have it be recovery rather than same old tired song of 327 pounds. Um, 
again, I, I ask myself why cheese is so important. Why, why, why is cheese so important? What, what is it? What is it that I, it, it's a, it, you know, I, I, my, when my sponsors say I felt hungry, mm-mm. Hungry is not a feeling. Hungry is not a feeling. What's going on with that? What are you feeling? Let's not talk about the cheese or whatever it is. The cheese or whatever it is is just a distraction to the feeling. So let's talk about the feeling. So it's the same kind of conversation I'd have for myself. So if I'm obsessing about stew or cheese, okay, what's going on? Why am I using the food as a distraction from what I'm really feeling? And again, I go back to if it's not an option, it's not a problem. It's what was much easier for me is to surrender to the process. I give. I don't have a friggin' clue. Again, out of ideas. I don't have a friggin' clue how to do it. My best ideas got me to 327 pounds. I don't have a clue. So it's a, it was a real relief for somebody that had had experienced strength and hope to tell me what to do and give me that guidance. Thank you.